0: But for today, um, we are going to go on um, in our last, um, this is our last sermon on the first letter of Peter. Uh, You are God's people, the church, and um, it's just been an overview. We could go straight back through the letter and, um, and find so many more things. But uh, today, for today, this is the last sermon we're going to look at in First Peter. And so I'm going to read with you in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 11. Um, it will be on the screen. <clears throat> but as usual, as I've said the last couple of weeks, I just want to encourage you to have your Bibles open as we just look back at verses here and there during the, um, <clears throat> the message. Excuse my voice. We're a little bit of a um, chesty cold. So um, I, I might cough occasionally. So let's read uh, 1 Peter 5 from verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourself all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. So far our reading. So just to recap, you really quickly, Paul's written to these five churches in five different provinces in Asia minor Each of them going through quite difficult circumstances because the the places that they're in are actually Roman empires. Uh, Their way of life, their values and where they've come to in followers of Jesus does not uh, not gel with the Roman way of life and that's caused um, a lot of issues for them. But he's written to them to say a few things and we've looked at them over the past few weeks. He's written to encourage them and he reminds them of the amazing rich inheritance they're assured of, uh, salvation, Uh, eternity and he reminds them that that's not some pie in the sky thing it's not something that that will come one day he says it's a living hope in your hearts right now like no other hope that you could have he writes to exhort them uh, right in the midst of the fray and the trouble he says just just mind yourself be holy keep Jesus as your model even when it's tough and he says and that starts with each other And he talks about loving one another deeply um, and that that holiness is expressed uh, amongst each other. And this might be a little bit of a hint as to where we're going today, because suffering and tension can cause disunity. He writes to encourage them again, helping them to see that any group of people are likely to be different. Any group of God's people are likely to be different. And that's okay because God builds you together. Remember that sermon where we talked about you are being built together as a spiritual house and with Jesus as the standard. He's the one that, that holds you all together, that binds you together, that gives the building integrity that makes sure it can't be rocked and fall apart. And he holds together all different kinds of people. But he is your common bond. He's your reason. <clears throat> and why? Why would he be doing that? Well, it's not so that you can all kind of feel good and hold hands and sing kumbaya and and even though we're different, we're, we're, um, we're happy. No, he goes on to say it's so that you can and you will declare the excellencies of God to the world. Even that nasty, that mean, that disparaging world, you'll declare his excellencies just by who you are, by what they see as you're being built together. He writes to help them to see that While they're not where they want to be, they're they're exiles, they're not home. And while they're not led by who they want or by people that are in any way godly, actually, maybe quite the opposite. And while they're not being treated fairly, while they're not being treated right or well, yet the leaders they have are God sent and they must submit and obey. Because this, too, will display the character of Jesus. This, too, will point to God and give him glory. They need to serve even harsh masters because it's God they're serving with their obedience and service, often under injustice. So they and we must do the same as Jesus did. And then last week, we looked at how they're suffering whilst it's uh, very hard and, and it's real, it was no reason to stop doing good, both toward each other in, in the people of God, in the church, but also outside, because that would glorify God. And so, if we wanted to see an overarching message that Peter wants to get to them, he says it is that, that you're God's people for a purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. He's doing it, He's building you, He knows where you are. It's to bring glory to God, it's to declare His excellencies. The gospel and your purpose. Geography doesn't change your purpose. The message to them is: geography, where you are, does not change your purpose. Being God's, your identity is still God's people. Circumstances caused by yourself, because we can do that, can't we? Or caused by another, doesn't change your purpose. It doesn't excuse you from your call. The church has been given its mission, and you are the church. So it sounds like a little bit of tough love so far, doesn't it? And now when we jump into chapter five, for a moment, it kind of looks like he's changing tack. It looks like Peter switched a little to starting to talk about the structure of the church and the organisation of the church. He talks about elders doing their job right, uh, about young people submitting to elders But then he goes back to more of what we've seen him do in the first four chapters. He he goes to instruct them and to exhort them and then to finish encouraging them. So what's happening here? What's happening as he rounds off this letter to the churches? What is he trying to communicate? Remember that nothing in here doesn't need to be said. Nothing is in this letter that Peter wrote that isn't important, that doesn't need to be said. So keep that in mind. And so whilst it sounds a little bit weird where it jumps from thing to thing, it's important. So what's happening here? Well, when suffering, uh, when trials, when oppression and struggle are a part of your daily life as an individual or perhaps even as a community, you're coming under, under oppression, it's not hard to see that this can cause tension, can't it? Just imagine you're struggling at home or in your job at school, in the street you live, you're being treated unfairly, you're under oppression there, you're being ridiculed, you're being looked down on, you're being treated unfairly in the workplace or in society. I could go on, there's lots of other things. And then with all that happening in the background, you're thrown together with a group of God's people. Perhaps these people are from different cultural backgrounds, different traditions, different expectations and more. You're full of this loaded up tension of this life that you're under and you have to find unity and you have to find obedience and love and be gracious. What might that look like? Do you think that perhaps you might need encouragement there? Do you think you might need something outside of yourself to hold on to? It reminded me of um, many stories I heard and some of you watching will, will understand or know some of the history of the the reformed churches starting here in Australia, some 60 years ago now, I think it was. And you had people from the Netherlands coming up to coming to Australia and starting a church. Now in the Netherlands, the, the reformed churches had already experienced splits into about 16 different kinds of churches um, all because they couldn't find unity in a certain area or, or whatever the reason They were deemed irreconcilable differences and so there were many different iterations of the Reformed Church already then in Netherlands. Then you have people coming to Australia. These people now have to make one church. In the midst of trying to find unity making one church, they're in a new country. They can't speak the language. They're trying to find jobs. They don't get everything in this great land down under. Lots of personal struggles, a new culture, a new land, financial struggles, family struggles. And yet they had to be a church. So you can imagine all those things happening in the background, and they were trying to find unity. So you get a little bit of a feeling of what, what the church is like that Peter's writing to. Or in, in their case, you, you're out there, they're out there and having unjust leaders, unjust rulers, Roman rulers, tell them what to do. And they're getting their back up because it's just not right. And then you have someone, a leader in the church that that tells you what to do and you don't quite get it or perhaps you don't quite agree with what they're telling you and you've had enough of being told what to do and so you react. It's human, isn't it? When things in our life are undefined, when they're out of control, when they're scary and more, what we do as humans is we hang on stubbornly to whatever modicum of control that we do have or can have. We get rebellious. Unity, love, obedience and service become sometimes the furthest things from our mind. And Peter's aware of that. He's writing to humans, isn't he? And if you read a little bit into the background of the church, this is what was happening in the church. And Peter wanted to say a few things to them. He wanted to begin with saying, elders, shepherd well. Model yourself after the chief shepherd. Did you see that? Look at the chief shepherd. Look at Jesus Elders, shepherd well, lead well. And there's some specifics in there in verse 2 and 3, isn't there? <clears throat> he says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, You know, not because you're forced to, but do it willingly. Shepherd well, willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Now, there were corrupt leaders even in the church then, and they would use their position for gain. But don't do that. And, but, but serve eagerly and don't domineer over those in your charge. But be examples to the flock. Examples of who? Examples of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. And what did Jesus do? Peter spent enough time explaining to them what Jesus did. The chief shepherd gave up his life for the sheep. He sacrificed everything. So lead well. Now, remember, these elders are probably in the same position. They're living under the same conditions out in the world when they go to work or into society. And when leaders get under tension and when leaders are under pressure, they can get controlling. They can get unreasonable. That's when you get bad and abusive leadership. So it's important that Peter talks to them. And when leadership is not good, it doesn't draw people to the chief shepherd. It does not display the chief shepherd. And by the way, as we know, in churches, the outside world sees that as well. When leaders don't do well, the world sees that as well, and it reflects on the church. And then he goes on young people, and then he moves on. Well, then all, everyone, be subject to leaders and to each other. Give grace. And there's verses 5 and 7, he says it, doesn't he? He says, 5 to 7 rather. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. And he's talking to everybody now with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you sometimes have to say under your breath, Oh, God, give me grace right now? You know, and you know those times, but he does. Peter says he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You know, everyone, and to which you give grace. Everyone's doing it tough here, but humble yourself under the hand of God. Cast your stress, your anxieties, and etc. on Him, not on each other, because He's the one who cares. And in the original language, that word, he cares for you, it's actually an active, dynamic word. That care is not just, well, he sits there and and has warm feelings about you and thinks, oh, my goodness, Andrew, he's such a lovely guy. I really care about him. It's more than that. The word in the original text is he will be active. He will do whatever it takes. He will manage your circumstances. He will care for you in a practical and dynamic way. And that's what Peter's saying to them. And then Peter moves to verse 8 and 9, doesn't he? Where he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The devouring enemy, the actual source of all your trouble." You know, you're looking at the Roman rulers, you're looking at people that are annoying you, you're looking at situations in your, in your society, things that aren't that are right and aren't just, but now he points to the real reason for our trouble and for their trouble. They're surrounded with what I call enemy-orchestrated struggles. But Peter wants them to see that while the enemy is surely out there, he's out there, he is he's using forces outside to oppress them, Be careful because sometimes the enemy is inside as well. Sometimes it's in you and and in the community. Don't let him get a foothold. He can come at us from the inside as well, from ourselves and from others. And in our stress and in our fear or anxiety, we begin to give the enemy room in in our interactions with each other or our reactions toward each other and our thoughts about each other. He says, don't do that. Be vigilant, really watch out for that because the enemy, whilst he might be obvious, is not always obvious. The enemy is not always or just the master of the obvious, isn't he? He's subtle, he will isolate you, he will create little annoyances with that person. You know that that person, you all know that person, don't you? He'll create agitation, he he will he will assist rumors. Or lies, or he might use weakness or tiredness. You've had a hard week, a hard day. They've had a hard time out in the in the, the Roman work world, or whatever it is. They're all super understandable things, but Peter says, "Watch out! Be vigilant for that." And he goes on to say, "And it's happening everywhere. You are not pioneering. You're not alone. There are people all over the world. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The enemy." He's not selective. He just wants to bring down the worship of God. He wants to bring down God being glorified. And he will do that by whatever means he can. So watch out. And then he ends pretty much in our reading today where he started in the start of the letter, didn't he? He encourages them. In verse 10, he says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, that's that inheritance that he spoke about in chapter 1, he will himself, he's going to do it himself. He'll restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. God has done what is necessary and he will restore you. That's your living hope. That inheritance is yours. He's called you to his eternal glory. But there's a now part in our text as well, isn't there? He says he is, he will himself, he is going to confirm, strengthen and establish you. His church, God's people here on earth too. Remember, it's not just pines going to die. It's not just it's all going to be. We're all going to be singing glory, uh, glorious songs in heaven, which is probably true. But he's saying He will Himself establish you and strengthen you now. The gospel will not fail. There's a promise to them that it's not for nothing what they're going through. He's saying, hang in there, because even if you're not alive to see it. Or even if you're not able to experience that, what God is doing. I will build my church here. He will build his church here on earth. Why? Well, Peter's been saying it all along. And it's right there in verse 11, isn't it? To him be the dominion forever and ever. It's for God's glory. He's been saying that. All. We've been saying that each week, haven't we? And that's what it's for. So as we finish this letter... I think it holds and it's kind of held a mirror up to us as God's people as well, hasn't it? Sometimes it's a really clear mirror. Sometimes you think, oh, my, yep, I can see myself in that. And you can see exactly how that plays out in your life and how that might happen in in our lives as a church or your life as a follower of Christ. And other times it's a bit of a misty or a foggy mirror, isn't it? We, We know our reflection's in there somewhere, but we're not exactly sure how it looks. I think God has used this letter to give us the same encouragements, the same exhortations, and the same commands that, he, that Peter gave to uh, those churches, the same call to walk in humility, to walk in holiness, the same purpose to declare who he is. Uh, we might be not doing it in Roman Empire, but we're doing it here in Australia, in this community, in Scoresby. The same challenge to find that unity together as God's people, as the church and allow him to build us into that spiritual house, that, that holy temple, one that he is pleased to dwell in. On many levels already, and perhaps to come, uh, we're also faced, we're faced with struggles, aren't we? We're also faced with sufferings and trials and hardships. And not always because we cause it ourselves, although that can be the case as well. It is and it will become harder to stand up for Jesus and the kingdom in our world, in our nation. For us as individuals, in our, wherever we find ourselves in our walk, daily walk, but also as a church community where we find ourselves. We shouldn't assume that we will have an easy path, that the warmth once shown for churches and for religion in general Uh, the acceptance, the basic acceptance of its values, of of Christian values, the freedom for the church to to express themselves, we shouldn't assume that those things are always going to be with us. And we have a bit of a sense of foreboding here already, don't we? We're seeing it in lawmaking, the way laws are being made that begin to mitigate against the values that we hold dear. We're seeing it in public opinion. But the public opinion, the public picture of, of faith and of churches has plummeted. We're seeing that in cultural acceptance, in, in the culture shifting and in the name of progression, how we're changing culture, are even changing definitions that 20, 10 years ago, no one would have dreamed of changing them. And all of us, we will have moments where it's hard to know uh, in this instance whether we need to obey and keep serving or not. It won't always be well defined and it won't always be nicely wrapped and tied in a bow so we'll understand exactly how we should respond as believers and as a church. And likewise, even as God's people in the body, in the church, we won't always see eye to eye on conventional theological thought, on, on our understandings, on our practices, on our preferences, on our, on our viewpoints. But maybe even more challenging, we won't always see eye-to-eye eye how to respond to the challenges on the outside. How to respond to the changes and shifts that are happening in our society. We may not always see eye-to-eye eye how to deal with that and how to stand firm together, what that might look like. So this led us not a waste for us to understand it. Trials, suffering and challenge cause tension in us as well. You know what it's like when you've had a hard week or when when things are not going your way and you come home and you kick the dog and the cat and we'll we'll stop there. We're all vulnerable to that. We're not immune. Tension, pressure, all those things can cause us to react. We need someone to blame sometimes, you know, that feeling, you know, you think I just don't feel right and I've got to blame someone for that. And sometimes that can be the ones that are our nearest and dearest or the ones that we we gather together to worship with or that we talk together on a deeper level. So we too must be aware of the enemy and his wily ways. His attacks from the outside, the way we see that happening, and sometimes his subtle attempts to destabilise from within or attack from within. So then these same encouragements that Peter shared right through the the letter to, to the churches there, the same exhortations and commands are true for us as one hope, one hopers. We have an inheritance in heaven for us. We have a living hope despite the hopelessness around us sometimes. We're called to holiness. We're called to be like Jesus to and for each other. We're called to love each other deeply. Now notice it says love each other deeply. It doesn't say like each other all the time or be happy with each other all the time. God is not the God of the unreal or the God is real. We're called to love each other deeply. There's something that transcends that moment that someone annoys us or that moment that we don't really want to hang around with that person for the next hour or so. But we're called to that deep love commitment that comes from a supernatural place for each other as God's people. We're being built together into a house and there are rooms and people being added all the time. And and lately in our church, we're seeing that as well. And that's a huge blessing. But there are all kinds of people. They're all different. But we have Jesus as our cornerstone. We have Jesus in common. We're different. We have different names. We have different colours. We have different cultures. I love that, especially when we have cultural lunches, by the way. We have different traditions. We have different preferences, even in the way that we worship and do things. But we share a common identity and we share a common father who is our God in heaven. And we all come under that name of One Hope Community Church. That's all of us. That's where we come under. And this world is not our home. We know that. The word says that to us. It's not our forever place. And we don't always fit even though we try sometimes, don't we? We know always fit or belong. And we will need to live under and also obey authorities that God has established, yet do not share our values. And we'll be called to serve faithfully and, and to seek the prosperity of our society as well. We'll be misunderstood, ridiculed even, and there might be a price we pay for being identified with Christ and his mission. And there might be, and Jesus said there will be suffering. And like I said last week, it's it one of the things that I always hope happens after I'm gone. Maybe I'm the only one that does it. And yet, and even as churches, even church, even being God's people, even being one hope will not always be easy. We will need to lead well and right as elders and leaders. And as individuals and in a body, we need to learn to be subject to our leaders. And that is easy when you agree. Not so easy at other times. But the Bible doesn't give us that exemption. We won't always get it right as leaders and we won't always get it right as followers. But we're called to that. Remember that cornerstone, that one who is right, who we all hang on to. And we're invited in the midst of that to take our cares and our anxieties to God Because only he can handle them. The enemy would love to undo the great work of God's people here. And so we need to be vigilant as well. So I was writing that message. I got to the point where I thought, that feels like a really heavy finish to our series, doesn't it? A lot of that can feel like or sound like bad news or, you know, impending... um, doom perhaps or so so where was the good news for the churches Peter was writing to and for us and it's right there in verse 10 verse 10 is what turns our survive into thrive what turned their survive into thrive have a look at that and after you've suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you What a wonderful verse. God, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore you. There's a plan. And God will rescue us. Now, God doesn't always rescue us from all suffering. But he will rescue us through suffering, despite suffering, in spite of suffering. In fact, he's already done it. Peter said that right at the start, didn't he? Through the cross. He suffered what we will never have to suffer. He suffered ultimate rejection, rejection that his father turned his face from him and so much more. And he did that so that we would have an inheritance unaffected by brokenness here on earth. We're being confirmed. He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ and he will himself strengthen you. He'll strengthen the church. He's with us, his people. He said... He promised, I will be with you. And he's done that by choosing to indwell us. He's given us Holy Spirit to live in us. You know, and, and I think that I, I often wonder about the people in the Old Testament who didn't have that, and I just think, wow, they must have thought, what an absolute privilege, and it is an absolute privilege. He's promised to be with us, but he's come to indwell us. Holy Spirit lives in us. We have access to the power we need to be his people, God's people in all circumstances. We don't have to be strong or stoic or trying to push through because he is and he lives in us. He will himself establish you. What does that mean? Well, he's going to establish his church. God's people is the vehicle for the gospel, isn't it? It might look hard and it might look like the church won't survive, but it will, and it has. The gospel will not be stopped. It's unstoppable. History shows that you can kill people, you can imprison people, but you can't kill the gospel. You cannot imprison the gospel. And history, well, we look back at history and you'll see that its that's the truth. You can put roadblocks in the way, you can put systems, you can put governments, you can put laws, you can put cultural barriers in the way, but the gospel will find a way through all barriers. There's a story of a lady that was burying her her husband and um, she had some kind of interesting beliefs. And so the the slab on top of her grave needed to be a foot, 30 centimetres thick. And so they put a 30 centimetre thick slab. I think she just didn't want him to come back. Um, But anyway, she put a 30 centimetre thick slab of concrete on there. And as they were lowering the concrete in there, incidentally, an acorn fell into the grave. Years later, that 30 centimeter thick concrete had a crack in it, and an oak tree grew out of there. What a wonderful picture. It's just like the gospel, it cannot be stopped. You can do whatever you like. We see the spread of Christianity throughout the world, and, and you often see other religions where the, the predominant number of their adherents are probably on one or two continents. Christianity is on every continent, and we have not just a predominant, we have 20% in Africa, 20% in the in North America, 20% in Asia. We have a, an equal representative Christianity, the gospel will not be stopped by cultures or by barriers. And the church, God's people, you and I, One Hope Community Church, we're the chosen vehicle for that gospel. They won't be stopped ever. What a privilege. You see, the world might never read the Bible, but they will read God's people. They will read the church. They will read us as Christians. And do you remember this, the, the Peter, this same Peter? Do you remember what Jesus said to this Peter back then? He said, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, we either believe that or we don't. The change of laws in Australia the oppression that the Syrians see, that the North Korean Christians see, the things that might that might, the enemy might bring into your mind personally, the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel having victory. It might look like it at times. It might feel like it. It might seem like it, but history shows us. And God's word tells us that God's people will prevail. And we are God's people. Peter knew that. And that's why he could paint this picture for them through the first letter of Peter. That's why he could be so real about what was happening because he knew something. The church wins. The gospel wins. God's people win. What a great letter. What a great way to have a look at the the who and the what and the why and the how of God's people How many churches through the ages do you think, through the generations have have looked at that and needed that kind of encouragement? Not just these five, but as the churches go on and to us today. How many churches have looked back through that hundred years ago and thought, this is all too hard, but hey, here's a promise. God is enormously gracious. In his wisdom, he's given us this to help us to understand how to be God's people and why to be God's people. And that he will be with us And that his word, the kingdom, will march on it, will not be stopped. So hold on, because we are, you are, and I are, God's people. And that's good news. We're the church. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your grace your love, your attention and the way that you give us everything that we need to live for you, to be your people. You give us everything we need to understand how to be your people. You give us the support that we need when it's tough to be your people, when we don't understand what's happening around us, when we're tempted by the enemy or by even by ourselves to to, to drop it and leave it all behind. Holy Spirit, you come and, and remind us that I am with you. I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for Peter's letter. I want to thank you for the words of hope and life, but the real words that help us to understand. That doesn't always look pretty, but the gospel is always pretty. It is always truth and that you'll be with us. Lord, we want to pray for I want to pray for One Hope Community Church, Lord, and and for our position, our place here in in Scoresby, as as many individuals, different people coming together and worshipping together. Lord, as we seek to do your will around here, as we understand what our response is to the world around us, a changing world around us, Lord, I pray for our leaders to lead well and for all of us to serve well under our leaders and under you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're our cornerstone. Lord, we confess that that's the truth for one hope and we pray that we'd be reminded of that time and time again. So, God, to you be the glory, the dominion forever and ever through one hope and through each one of us as individuals in Jesus' name. Amen.